make a special announcement about a, a class we're having the next two Sunday evenings. Uh, Nick's mentioned this before about something we want to start called Creekside U, uh, which is just an opportunity to go deeper into some Bible doctrines than we normally get a chance to. And um, I just want to read a verse here, a couple verses out of John 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And a little while ago in our series on Mark, Nick was preaching on Mark chapter 13, which talked about the return of Jesus Christ. And uh, I, I just think of these words of Jesus and, and think, am I looking forward to the return of Jesus Christ? You know, he talked a lot about a lot of things, uh, about the rapture, the tribulation, the millennium, new heavens and new earth. Would you like to learn more about that? Would you like to go deeper in the study of that? Uh, we heard some from different people. This was kind of new to them. So this is a great opportunity the next two Sunday evenings uh, from 6 to 8 p.m. here at the church. And, and we'll look at those uh, doctrines a little deeper. And not just so much about the schemes of the order of the different events, which we're going to look at. But we also want to think about the central person involved in all the Bible prophecies of the end times. And that's Jesus Christ himself. Studying the doctrine of the second coming of Jesus Christ isn't just about charts and maps. And those are good. And we'll look at those. But it's about the person who's central of it all, the Savior Jesus Christ. He's the one who's coming back. He's the one we're looking forward to being with one day. And so this is an opportunity. I think it's a great one. I'm looking forward to uh, being a part of teaching it. And we'll probably just do it here in the, in the fellowship area. Um, you can ask me more about that and, and just come. There's no sign up, just come. So great opportunity for going deeper in the word. Thank you, Mark. I love that because we believe that the Bible is without error and it guides everything we do. And so I, I guess I'd start off by just asking you that, uh, you know, we don't just want to unload a lot of information on you, but sometimes getting in the habit of reading the Bible is really, really hard. And the Bible is confusing and boring sometimes. And so to get into it, man, we just got to ask. So let's make this our prayer on a daily basis and just ask God through the Holy Spirit to reveal truth to us because that's part of what the Holy Spirit does is to reveal the truth of his word and make it come alive in our lives so that we go live that out, right? Right? God, we, uh, we acknowledge that you are here right now. We acknowledge that you are sovereign over every situation in our lives, whether good or bad. God, you are sovereign over our hurts. And even when we disagree with you, God, you are still good and we can trust you. And so I pray that just in these moments, even as we give back to you with joyful hearts, because you have blessed us with salvation. And God, we want, to, we want to connect with you in your presence today. We want to be moved to, to the abundant life. And we know that the abundant life is only in the name of Jesus. And we want to again be reminded of our need for a Savior and be set free this morning. Father, we love you and we need you. In Jesus' name. Well, good morning. It's great to see everyone here today. Uh, this is an exciting day because we are starting 
a brand new series. Um, we are going to be looking at the book of Genesis together. Um, this is our first week, and, and Lord willing, we'll, we'll continue this kind of through the summer, so roughly looking at about the first half of the book, getting up through, uh, up through Isaac. And so as by way of introduction, you know, that's my job today to kind of help introduce the book of Genesis. And, you know, as I'm studying this, I'm like, man, this is, this is a really kind of a daunting task because here you've got this monumental book that, you know, from a chronological standpoint covers more time than the rest of the Bible combined, uh, has a lot, so much going on, so many themes, so many characters, uh, and it's a tall task. So I thought, you know, just to kind of help us think about this book, we could do, kind of do this in the format of uh, a little Genesis 101. Uh, this is not, this is a pop quiz, but you won't be, uh, your, your results will not be tested. We won't ask you to reveal how many got right or wrong, but I, th I think these are all pretty straightforward, pretty, pretty basic, and so we're just going to think about some of the basic facts of Genesis uh, today together. So the, the first question is, you know, what does Genesis mean? Is it A, a book or a scroll, B, history, C, origin or generation, or D, creation? Yeah, you can say it out loud or you can keep it in your mind. C is correct. The word Genesis, so it comes from the Greek translation of the book called the Septuagint. And uh, it's actually this, the same word, you know, Genesis is, is just transliterated into the English. And it basically means just that. It means an origin or a beginning. Uh, it also can be translated as the word generations. And one cool thing about this word, you know, it serves as the title for the book. But it also helps us understand the structure of the book. So this is something to look for as you go through, kind of a key to unlocking the structure. If you look at Genesis 2, verse 4, you see the first time this word actually shows up. It says, in, a, in my translation, it says generation. Some will say this is the account or this is the story. But in Genesis 2, 4, it says these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. So if you look for this, and, and I listed out the first few, there's about 10 or 11 of them total. And these kind of serve as signals that we are, we're changing scene. We are moving into a new section of the book. And as we move through these sections, one thing that you want to look for too is kind of some recurring patterns. You kind of see each section starts out, it's kind of a fresh start. And you're going to see certain, certain themes emerge. Uh, these, these people that come upon the scene uh, invariably sin in some way. There's uh, some consequences for their sin. And you also see a reoccurring pattern of grace. So look, look for these, these statements. These, these are the generations is kind of the, the thing you want to look for to key you in, to clue you in that, hey, I'm moving into a new section of the book. And as you see, as these go, go along, really they, they point us towards kind of a narrowing, kind of a funnel. It starts out, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth. Then it talks about Adam. And, and when you think about Adam, you're thinking about, oh, this is still kind of this all of humanity. And then it, and then it narrows down and it goes through Noah and Abraham and Abraham's sons. 
this idea that there's this line, that there's this group of people that God is working with. And so that's kind of something to observe as we go from kind of a wide-angle lens down to a very specific focus in the book of Genesis. Um, I thought also that would be cool to kind of just give you guys a couple, some of you may be interested in doing some study, kind of digging in a little bit more, a couple just basic commentaries. These don't have a lot of Greek or Hebrew in them. They're really kind of practical. One is Genesis from Creation to a Nation by Ken Fleming. He was a, he's a professor at Emmaus when I was there, and uh, this is a really basic, kind of easy commentary. Another one is Genesis by Derek Kidner. Those are a couple uh, books that if you're just looking for something kind of inexpensive, basic, to kind of track along as we go through this series, uh, I'd, I'd, either one of those would be kind of a, a good start. So the next question. The traditional author of Genesis is A, Noah, B, Moses, C, Samuel, or D, Ezra. See, I said, you know, these, you, guys are all, you guys are all over these. Too easy. Moses is the traditional author of the book of Genesis. And they put the date of, of the writing somewhere around 1450 B.C. Really, if you look at it, it makes the most sense for this to have been composed and written during the 40 years in the wilderness. So you think about between the, the Israelites leaving Egypt and coming into the promised land. You have this time where they were wandering in the desert. And, and really, if you look at it, that, that is sometime in this time period, we believe that Moses wrote not only Genesis, but the five books, the first five books of the Bible, which is called the Torah or the Pentateuch. Now, you know, you're like, how do, how do we know that, that Moses wrote Genesis? And we have, we have some clues from, from the Bible itself. The witness of the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 31.9, it says, Moses wrote this law and gave it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, and to all the elders of Israel. And again, in the New Testament, I'm just picking out a couple examples. There's, there's a lot more. Mark 12.26 uh, Jesus said, have you not read in the book of Moses? So there's this, this ongoing theme that, that Moses wrote the Torah, that Moses wrote the law. And it really kind of fits with what we know about Moses. So if you remember back to uh, you know, the Ten Commandments and, and, and you remember the, you know, all the Charleston Heston and everything. But think about him uh, growing up in, in this Egyptian uh, royalty. And, and really that's what he grew up in Pharaoh's house. He would have had access to the very finest of teachers, the very best uh, education. And, and it's kind of neat to think that God was preparing him to be his spokesperson. To not only be a, a leader for the people of, of Israel, but to write this monumental uh, section, this foundational part of Scripture. And we also see that when we talk about Moses, he's really kind of a unique figure in the Old Testament. The very last uh, section of Deuteronomy 34, which would not have been written by 
by Moses, this would have been added after his death, says, And there has not risen a prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. So Moses had this amazing relationship and this amazing access to God that really is almost unparalleled when you look at the rest of Scripture. That he was a man who spoke with God face to face. And so there's, there's a lot of debate. Uh, if, if, you, if you look into kind of contemporary scholarship, and there's a lot of dispute to say, oh, you know, Moses didn't write the first five books of the Bible, that, that they were kind of collated from all these, from these different sources at, at a later date. And, you know, I think there's a few things that we can say about that. For one, you know, the fact of Moses writing uh, Genesis doesn't mean that he didn't use outside sources. I think it's probably pretty likely and probable that he was working off of ancient documents, probably passed down. Uh, if you think about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and even on into Egypt, you know, these, these, these documents and these, these sources. So, especially when you talk about the part before Moses was, was leading the nation of Israel, uh, it was really likely that he was drawing on a lot of other sources. And so you could see some differences in, in the writing styles and some things like that. Um, also, you know, there are a couple points where we know that other people edited uh, and inserted some things, especially at the end of Deuteronomy. And so it's definitely possible that, that there was some slight editing and, and bringing together Moses' work. But still, the testimony of the Old Testament the testimony of the New Testament really all points towards Moses being the author of Genesis. Question number three. The New Testament refers to Genesis approximately how many times? A, 25, B, 70, C, 200, and D, 350. Anyone want to venture a guess on this one? The answer is 200. Now, what that says to me is that if I want to understand the message of the Bible, if I want to understand Scripture, I need to understand Genesis. It's really crucial. It's foundational. Um, Kent Hughes, who wrote a, a commentary called Beginning and Blessing on the book of Genesis, he said this, what we know about God, about creation, about ourselves, and about salvation begins in Genesis. It provides the theological pillars on which the rest of the Bible stands. If we want to understand who God is, what he has done, and what he will do, we need to know Genesis. And you know, that's, that's completely true because if you want to understand who God is, if you want to understand what God has done, if you want to understand what God is doing in the future, Genesis is absolutely critical. We need to understand this book. And the first thing you can really say about Genesis is, is it a book? It's a book about God. And you can see this right in the first chapter. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's in verse 1. In verse 3, it says, and God said... In verse 4, it said, God saw. In verse 5, God called. In verse 7, God made. And 35 times in the first chapter of Genesis, this repetition, God. God did this. 
God did that. God created. The overwhelming idea is that this is a book about God. And if we want to understand who God is, Genesis is crucial. It also helps us understand a lot of the, the questions that we have about the world that we live in. Especially the, the really hard questions. You know, you think about why is there death? Why is there suffering? Genesis helps us understand that. It helps us go back to find the root causes of why this world is so messed up. What is the purpose of work and labor? And what was God's plan for that from the beginning? Where does marriage come from? Why are family relationships so hard? All these things are things that Genesis helps us understand. So it helps us understand God. It helps us understand ourself. It helps us understand the world that we live in. All those things come from the book of Genesis. Next question. Genesis is, fill in the blank, A, theological allegory, B, truth-telling myth, C, poetic legend, or D, historical narrative. There are people that hold to all these positions. We, we believe that if you're going to read Genesis uh, and be true to the text, you really have to read it as a historical narrative. If you, look at, if you look at Genesis and you look at the people that Genesis tells us about, you see something that all these people are always treated as real flesh and blood people. They don't, have the, the, they don't bear the marks of some kind of mythic person that is standing in as a representative. Some people will, will talk about how, well, the story of Adam, Adam and Eve is, is a mythic story that is intended to kind of teach us a general truth about humanity. Well, that's not how the Bible treats these stories. And, and you can see this from just a couple, a couple examples. Luke 17, 26, this was Jesus speaking. He said, just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. In other words, there was a historical place and time that Noah lived in, and he is making a comparison that, you know what, just like it was in that time, it's going to be like that again. Another example, Romans 5.12, the Apostle Paul, he was writing, he said, therefore just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, Paul is comparing Adam to Christ. Just as death came by Adam so righteousness comes by Jesus Christ. And there's no hint, there's no sign that there's anything other in mind than Adam as a real historical person. And that's something that's under a lot of attack today. And I think it's really basic and foundational that we don't, uh, that we don't lose sight of that, that Adam was a real, true, flesh and blood person. And, you know, I think if we're going to going to treat Genesis the way that Jesus treated Genesis, the way that the apostles treated Genesis, we have to kind of take that same, that same perspective. So we think it, it's pretty clear that Genesis is, is historical. And then we also, the second part I said, Genesis is historical narrative. That's just saying that 
You know, if you look at Genesis, really the way that it conveys truth to us, it uses stories as vehicles. Now, we, all, we love stories because, you know, you look at how Jesus taught. He used parables. He used examples. And, and stories are really a good way to learn truth. But they also kind of bring a couple things with them that we have to be aware of. When you're reading a narrative, it's important to read it thoughtfully. Now, just because something is described doesn't mean, you know, we can draw the, the, wrong, the wrong conclusions from something. And, and I think of, I think of a one example that comes to mind is, uh, you know, you get, you get farther along in the book and you see Abraham and, and he's married to Sarah and God makes this promise that they're going to have a son and, you know, Sarah says, well, you know, God's kind of taken a long time to, to make this happen. Maybe we can speed up the process. Why don't you marry my, my, my servant, Hagar? And, you know, if you just stopped right there and, and looked at that narrative and, and said, well, okay, I guess the Bible condone, condones polygamy. You have to read carefully. Because, you know, if you're reading carefully, you see in the very beginning, God says, you know, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And so, just because something is, a, is in a narrative doesn't mean we, all, we don't have to read it critically and carefully and really understand, comparing it to the rest of the Bible, you know, what is God trying to teach me through this? What am I supposed to learn? And I think we want to look at it from multiple levels. There's the individual level. You know, how, how is this... How is this story, what's happening to the person in the story? And then you look at the next level up and what is happening to the people of God. And then you look at the theme carried on, what is happening in the scope of human history? All those are things we need to keep in mind as, as we're reading narrative. And also as you think about this book, uh, one thing that, that becomes clear is that there are a lot of opinions. There's a lot of uh, debate that, that happens around a lot of the scientific details and you know Genesis can really become a battleground sometimes and so I just want to say a couple things about that first of all just to to say you know kind of be up front that that we think that the best way to read Genesis is just to read it straightforward that God created the universe in six days um, that he is powerful he is mighty he, he is certainly capable of doing all that and it's really the easiest and the most straightforward, re this most straightforward way to read the text. And so that's where, that's where we come out. Um, we also think that, you know, there's ultimately, if you think about science and scripture, there's ultimately no conflict between scripture and science. And if we feel like there's a conflict, then it means one of two things. We're either, A, not interpreting the science correctly, which is probably the probably the most likely thing, or B, we could be interpreting scripture incorrectly. But there is no conflict, and someday all of our mysteries will be resolved, and all the questions that we have will be cleared up. Uh, and there are a lot of scientists that are, that are diligently working and, and showing that, you know, you can read scripture and reconcile with science, and, and it's not, uh, you know, it makes sense, it fits together. And, you know, regardless of your interpretation, you're going to end up with mystery. And Genesis wasn't written to clear up all of our mysteries. We're going to have things we wonder about until we see Jesus. But regardless of where, where you come out on some of those things, 
the fundamental fact that you cannot escape is that God created the universe. We're not here because of some unguided chance. And, and I think when you look around at the universe and you, and you just stop to pause and think about the design that is evident all around us, it, it just blows your mind. Um, I like this picture. This is a picture of a solar eclipse. And eclipses have kind of been in the news lately. And so I've just kind of been doing some thinking and reading about eclipses. And you know what's cool about an, a solar eclipse is that in order for that to happen, there has to be precise positioning of the sun, the earth, and the moon. Not only does the positioning have to, have to be precise, the sizes have to be exactly right. So if, if you think about the moon, it is 400 times smaller than the sun. And the sun is 400 times farther away from the earth than the moon. So that when all these three, three things line up, the moon exactly, can exactly cover the sun, you know, just, just like pieces of a, of, a, of a clock fitting together, just like that. I mean, is that amazing? I mean, there are nine other planets in our solar system and 178 moons, and not one of those other moons ever provides an eclipse for any of those planets. And when I look at that, I just think, wow. I, I read some articles and, and, these, and people coming at it from, from a perspective of this universe's blind chance are, are really think that this is just the most amazing coincidence that out of all the planets, the one that has life on it has a moon that is positioned exactly so that it can provide a complete solar eclipse. And that's just one example. I mean, you could, you could look at endless examples. You could look at so many things. You know, the way that DNA is coded, the way that the eye works, the, the, it's, it's endless. The way that, that birds know how to migrate to the south and back to the north, there's, there's programming and intelligence built into every facet of this universe. And so, Our, our final question, this is not a multiple choice, but this is for us to think about why does Genesis matter now? You know, there, I think there's, a, there's sometimes a, a tendency to look at the Old Testament and to say, yeah, you know, the Old Testament's hard to read. The Old Testament is, you know, that's, that's how God was working then. And, you know, now we have so much more in the New Testament revelation of who God is and what he's doing. There's, there's some people that call themselves red-letter Christians that say, we just want to look at the words that Jesus said. We don't want to worry about the rest of Scripture. Uh, but, you know, that's not the way that Jesus treated Genesis. And so, as we're coming to, to close our time together, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 24. And, you know, last week we celebrated Resurrection Sunday and, and Easter. And what an awesome thing to remember that Jesus rose from the dead. And that I think something that gets overlooked about Resurrection Sunday is that Jesus actually preached 
a, an Easter Sunday message, all right? Now, it wasn't in a church with 10,000 people. But it, we, we, we read about it in Luke chapter 24. Luke 24 setting the scene, there's these two men walking, they're leaving Jerusalem, and they're heading to a town called Emmaus. And the stranger comes up and starts walking beside them. And it's Jesus, but they don't, they don't recognize him, they don't know who it is. Verse 17, and he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but they did not see him. And, they said, and he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Verse 27. It says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. When Jesus preached on Easter Sunday, he started in Genesis. He went back and preached Genesis. And then he moved on to all the prophets. But I love that picture. Here's Jesus. He comes up. He walks beside these guys. And he just starts explaining the Bible to them. And that, is, that matters to us because when we look at the Old Testament, now we can come from the same perspective and say, you know what? Jesus is there. Jesus is there. You know, I think that if Jesus went back to Moses, I think it was probably a pretty good bet that he started in chapter 1, in verse 1. In the beginning, God. And there's something neat about that verse that you can't see when you're looking at it in the English translation. In the Hebrew, the word for God is Elohim. And that word is in the plural form, okay? And it probably would have been a little bit of mysterious why this was used, because it's used in the plural form with a singular verb, Elohim created. And yet in that, it is pointing to the fact that God is a plurality, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you see that in the rest of that first chapter, it says there's a spirit, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then in verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image. You know, Jesus, I, I picture him walking next to these guys and, and saying, look at that. Look at that. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. In the very beginning of Moses, 
there's Messiah. And, you know, these guys were walking with him. They still didn't recognize him. They thought, man, who is this guy that is just unpacking scripture for us? And in their hearts, this is, we're just burning inside of them. And one of the things that we want to do in this series as we go through it is we want to help you guys connect the dots between Genesis and Jesus. Okay? So as you're reading through Genesis on your own, ask yourself, how is this, how is this either pointing forward to Jesus explicitly or how is this showing us our need for Jesus? And I know that we've, we've talked about a lot of uh, some stuff that is, could be a little dry and it's a lot of content. And so I want to bring this back to something practical that you guys can take with you this week. Think about the fact that this God who has the power to set the sun and the moon and the earth in perfect position. That this God who could speak worlds into being is the same God who would come to earth and walk a dusty road with two disciples and, and explain the scripture to them. And this same God who created the universe created me. And this son that spoke the world into existence speaks to me. And the Holy Spirit that was hovering over the face of the waters to, to transform and create this world is inside of me, working to transform my life. And that this God of cosmic power, okay, is a God of intimate relationship. And so when I go through this week, some, and the events come up, and I say, man, why is this happening? Why is that happening? You know, and I feel sometimes like, I might feel like life is kind of spinning out of control. Um, and I might not be able to see God to remember that this God of such power is a God of intimate and personal relationship. And now we're going we're gonna to break the bread and take the cup to remember Jesus. And in the end of the story, we were just talking about these two guys, they walk with Jesus all afternoon. They don't realize who he is. And it says in verse 28, they drew near to the village to which they were going. And Jesus acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. And he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. This is so cool. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. You know, sometimes we might read through the Old Testament and be just like those two guys. Jesus is right there, and we just don't recognize him. So what I want you guys to do as we go through this series is be looking for Jesus. Be looking to see the God of creation and intimate relationship. The God who brings grace to cover our need. Let's give thanks for the bread and the juice. Father, 
We can feel so small when we look at your creation and think about how you designed this perfect place for us to live. And yet we also know that this world is not as you designed it right now. And we're surrounded by death and sickness and pain. And we thank you that Jesus entered into that. He entered into the pain and the hurt. And he experienced the death. The death and the judgment that our sin deserved. Lord, as we take this bread and cup, help us to see Jesus. Help us to see the God of infinite power and intimate relationship. We thank you in his name. as we go out of here this week, uh, I'm going to leave you with the challenge that this week, take a chance sometime to read through Genesis chapter 1, because that's where we're going to pick up when we come next time. And as you read it, just stop to stand in awe of the God who could create with the Word. You know, a few years back, I remember Tim O'Bearn talking about Project Stand in Awe, just the sense that sometimes we have to just slow ourselves down just to look and to see the incredible beauty and wonder of the creation around us. And to remember this same God who ordered the cosmos also orders the events in my life. And he is absolutely worthy of my trust and my faith in him. Let's pray. Father, as we go, help us to remember you this week. Help us to cling to you and trust to remember that you are our great, strong, sovereign God that we can hold tight to in every storm of life. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for coming. Hope to see you guys next week.